0: Hey guys, Jack here. Good to be back on the podcast. Um, It's been a long five weeks. I've been out of town or out of the country for most of it. So my apologies for not getting you episodes in that time. Um, I already have next week's recorded and the following week scheduled. So we're going to be back with more regular content, I'm happy to say. But thank you guys all for your patience. Among other things, I was in Las Vegas for the Software Y Academy back-to-back academies the Tournament Academy followed by the Cash Academy those academies are really awesome that product um, when I first joined Software Y it was great and it's gotten even better in the past year and a half and so if you guys haven't done the academy highly recommend considering it Um, if you're planning on putting in any kind of volume this summer uh, during the World Series whether it be cash whether it be tournaments um I recommend attending the Academy respective to your game format. Um, there's some coming up in May, uh, the week before the series starts, and that's a really good time to meet me, meet those guys, and go through the Academy. If you do that, make sure you use coupon code JUSTHANDS2019 to get 5% off, uh, and I'll see a little bit of that money, and I'd very much appreciate it. Alright guys, thank you so much for tuning in, and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Just Hands podcast, where it's just me. And most of you guys know that, but our fantastic guest today, who is a big fan of the show, did not know that. And I just had to let him know that it's going to be just me, no Zach. But that's for the best. We have regular listeners. What a
1: major but... soul-crushing spoiler alert.
0: I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's what happens if you started episode one.
1: Well, I'm in the pro- Yeah, I found the pod a couple of years after you guys started. And I've been slowly catching up, literally listening to the episodes in sequential order. And I'm somewhere in 2018, and you still have a co host where I'm at. So I just got the soul crushing news that it's, that the co host is gone. <laughs> so <laughs> that's I so know, that's funny. So
0: I mean, I think, uh, I think it's, it was a relief to everybody. That, that's <laughs> the general sense I got. But,
1: um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited to get all Jack and, you know, about me. My name is Louie Hillman and I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And, you know, I've been listening to the pod for a couple of years now. I I love, I love what you do. I mean, for me, it's so much fun to get to be able to participate in something that I get a lot of value of. So it's like, you know, long time listener, excited to be a first time caller.
0: Oh, Louis.
1: Well, I'll just jump into my poker background. Um, I was sharing with Jack that, you know, in my previous life, I was a news reporter, TV news reporter and TV news anchor. And as you can imagine, that lifestyle was not the best for poker playing. I mean, I've been playing for over 15 years, but depending on different points in my life, I've played more or less. And when I decided to get out of the TV news business and get get out of that lifestyle and take a very different career change. Is when I moved up to Minneapolis. And one of the ancillary benefits of that, of not only having a better schedule, making a lot more money than I did when I was a broke TV reporter, was that I kind of got to pick up poker more seriously again. So cut my teeth back in the day, playing mostly online cash, which is why I connect so much with this podcast. I have really a cash background uh still play quite a bit of cash online six max no limit hold'em and six max plo and when i do go play live poker i mean i've got two little kids i've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old so that's like once or twice a month um i prefer to play turn challenge of uh chasing you know the wins the trophies which uh we'll get into for this specific hand today And I mean, I consider myself a serious rec player, Um, have posted winning years for the last five years since I started playing pretty consistently again. Although I always joke, I will not share with you what my hourly is because it would be the worst paying side job (laughs) in the history of side jobs. Uh, But the biggest thing is I enjoy the process. I enjoy working on my game, spending time away from the table, working on improving almost as much as I enjoy playing. And that's why I found this podcast and really appreciate what Jack shares and has made it part of my weekly routine. So my only hope today is that I don't get roasted too hard.
0: (laughs) No, definitely. um, I, I don't foresee that happening. I have actually seen the hand we're going to be discussing today. I think most listeners know this, but I typically go in blind, or at least that's my preference. But today, we're going to be talking about a hand that Louis actually shared with me on Twitter. This is something that I guess if a lot of people started doing it, it would be less effective. But uh, Louis, so far, is the only person who shares or tags me in hand histories on Twitter. And because he's the only one who does it, I typically respond to you. And I think that you're smart to reach out to me in that way. And I recommend that others do. And if that avenue becomes a little too crowded, then, of course, you're all welcome to the Just Hands Slack group, becoming a Just Hands member, yada, 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 um, self-promotion here, there, everywhere. And onto the hand. So, Luby, this was from a recent PLO tournament in the Minneapolis area, if I believe I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, so home card room is Canterbury Park has a really good reputation, especially in the Midwest, as one of the top poker rooms. You know, is known as a big limit room, so big limit cash games, eight sixteen kill, twenty forty, and then a forty eighty mix are the main cash games that play. Unfortunately, in Minnesota, we do not have no limit is not approved by the state. So Canterbury's been around for almost two decades, has built its reputation as a limit cash game room but also on the tournament side offering regular tournament series so this was the fall poker classic which runs for about two weeks every october people travel from around the midwest to come play it plus all of us that live here and this was the the one and only pot limit omaha event on the schedule which i was not going to miss and real quickly about the structure i mean it's a no anti structure so you can be extremely patient i made the final table as the extreme short stack nine out of nine in chips Uh, interestingly enough the villain who i end up getting getting heads up with started the final table either seventh or eighth in chips so we were both short stacks both ran it up uh you know made hands i had one huge hero call not against this specific villain um and we had played together for the final three tables, but had interestingly not had any hands against each other, so we get to heads up play he has a slight chip advantage of me on me he's got four hundred forty thousand in chips, and I've got four hundred thousand in chips. The only really pertinent infor- information on the villain that I wanted to share was um, he had told me on one of the breaks and just said that he was a i mean an extreme recreational player like only played once or twice a year and for what that's worth i mean he had played no huge mistakes that i had seen the one read that i had had on him was that he was from my perspective really willing to gamble on draws whether he was the aggressor calling off so he was he, he was willing to gamble in big spots and had accumulated his chips several times on big draws and got there
0: all right well that's that's good information to have. I think anytime you can talk to your opponents on break and just get a sense of who they are as a player that has more experience and is more thinking, um, I think that's always going to benefit you. So kudos for making friends with your opponents and getting that information. Also, congrats on getting heads up. Why don't you give us the buy-in level, um, the number of players who entered the tournament and then set up the pre-flop action? What are the, what's the current blind level?
1: Yeah. Blinds when we start heads up are 10,000, 15,000. So we both have, you know, just about 30 big blinds, which with no anties heads up is very deep. And we could, we could potentially play for a while here. Uh, the buy-in is a $235 and the field is about a hundred people. So small field, but there's still, you know, good amount of money to be one up top. And most importantly, they literally put the trophy on the table, which is always exciting and fun. So when we say we're heads up for the PLO trophy, there is a literal trophy on the table. And for those of us that don't get to play all that often, we don't want to miss out on this opportunity.
0: Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I've never won a live tournament, only a few online. So I'm looking forward to taking home the trophy. Uh, so they yeah, <laughs> want to make the most of the I guess generally we can talk about you know we don't talk about a lot of pillow hands on this show, nor do we talk about that many hold 'em hands, nor do we talk about that many heads up hands, which is part of why I thought that you know if we're gonna make a departure, we might as well make a huge departure um from our our normal uh content. so why don't we i guess talk just generally how are you approaching heads up play here? are you when you're on the button or remind me, were you on the button or in the small line yeah
1: I- The hand in question, I'm on in, in the button, so I'm first to act, and I pick up queen, nine of spades, king of clubs, and ten of hearts. So that's queen, nine spades, king of clubs, and ten of hearts. My general approach heads up would be that I feel like I have a significant skill edge on my opponents, although I don't play live very much. I play quite a bit online and study the game pretty consistently. And I want to make him make a massive mistake. Mm-hmm.
0: So, how often are you limping the button versus raising the button? I assume that you have no folding range.
1: I have almost no folding range. So, I, I would say that this is maybe 10 hands into heads up play. I had limped the button a few times, I had also min raised the button at least once, and I had potted a pot size raise the button at least once. So I was Hmm. coming in playing, you know, kind of a taking different lines, just trying to mix up my play. My thought with this specific hand is that I dominate his entire range so that I want to come in with a raise and force him to force him to defend and pay to see a flop. So I elected to, Raised to 45,000, which was a pot size raise.
0: Yeah, and that, I think that makes a lot of sense here. I think for people who are coming from a, you know, known like cash background, it might seem strange to be mixing up race size to that degree. But I think what we have to realize here is that when we're in position in a game where equities run rather close, we just can't be folding very much. And we're not going to fold very much either when we get potted by an out-of-position player. And so we really just want to be controlling the size of the pot right away. And we're going to have coverage on basically all boards regardless of what sizing we choose. And so it's not like no limit where we might cap ourselves um, on a certain subset of boards if we're splitting too much based on size. And also, we're not that deep. And so... There's not, like when you're playing 200 big blinds deep, capping yourself on a certain board texture is pretty disastrous. Not disastrous, but it's something to be avoided. Where, when we're not very deep, although we are relatively deep considering the situation, that's less of an issue. And so I think we're just going much more based on the strength of our hand and just trying to control the size of the pot based on our hand's incentive. And I agree with you that this hand is clearly strong enough to try and increase the pot as rapidly as possible um, at this juncture. So I'm a big fan of this pre flap sizing. Uh, although I will readily admit that I have not been in this situation. And so I'm just going based on intuition here.
1: Yeah. The only thing worth sharing is that the villain had repotted to my raises at least twice in the 10 hands that we've been head up heads up. He'd also just open folded twice. So I mean, he was, there was no consistency. I mean, he was not going to play every hand, which, you know, you would expect to in Potlum and Omaha heads up within reason, you should be playing probably 80 to 90% of hands. So he was folding more than he should. He was also probably potting more than he should be. So it's kind of a, you know, a wide range of pre-flop outcomes with this specific villain.
0: Yeah, I think though, given our villains' deficiencies, like we're not so upset. I don't think we're maybe not thrilled, or absolutely thrilled to get repotted, but we have a clear call and we're in position. We have a skill edge, and we're going to be making a very, very plus if you call. Were you thinking about?
1: It? Yeah, we're never. If he if he repots to my pre flop raise, we are. I'm never. Four bet. I mean, it would effectively be a four-bet shove. This hand isn't strong enough to do that, but if he three-bet pots in position, I am still calling. I think I'm still ahead of his range. And I mean, this hand is going to be at worst 55-45 to his highest equity PLO hands.
0: Yeah, and that's a weird, that's sort of an unusual thing about being in a PLO tournament. Relative to a no limit tournament where you get, you're just not going to get priced out here, which is why you have a little bit more leeway to try and inflate pots with hands that aren't necessarily like in the top 5%, 10%, um, but are in the top 10%, 20%. In a no limit situation, getting shoved on and folding away like a tenth of stack is really gross and you're just not going to get put in that situation here since we can always see a flop.
1: The only thing that I... And I didn't think of this in-game. The only thing in retrospect... I mean, there since Villain has, in my opinion, overfolded heads up, that with a hand that has good equity and is way ahead of his range, maybe just calling to make sure he sees a flop and makes a big mistake. But I still prefer... Making the raise and making him pay when we're ahead of his range.
0: Yeah, and I think that if he's folding like thirty to fifty percent equity. Maybe not fifty, but like so let's say thirty to forty-five percent equity, like thirty percent of the time here, that's pretty nice. All right, so this is PLO, four cards to track. Little little challenging. Why don't you give everybody a recap of what you have Recap the preflop action, and let's move to the flop, which is where the hand gets fun.
1: We're holding queen, nine of spades, king of clubs, and ten of hearts. The flop is ace, king of spades, and four of hearts. So we flopped middle pair, broadway draw, and nut flush draw.
0: Mm -hmm. So this isn't a board where I think that we would expect our opponent to ever lead. And if I remember the hand correctly, we are checked too. And it's our decision whether to bet or check ourselves.
1: Yes. Villain checks. And my thoughts on this flop is this is a great flop for me. Villain is going to repot aces and kings. I feel like 95 to a hundred percent of the time. So we can take those two hands specifically out of his range, middle pair with Broadway draw and nut flush draw. I'm, I feel like I'm ahead a good majority of the time, so I am in a bet for value, and I bet sixty thousand into ninety, which is a two-thirds size pot bet.
0: Mm-hmm. So I agree that you're way ahead here in terms of equity. The question is, do you have a hand that benefits from narrowing your opponent's range at this point in the hand? Like, how is your equity when called? versus how much equity are you allowing your opponent to realize um, by giving a free card?
1: Yeah, that is something I did not think of in game because really the hands that he's just going to give up on fold on, he's so far behind us that he just is giving up on the hand to any bet size. And the hands that we want him to come along with and make a worse flush, you know, in the best case scenario, make a lesser flush. We would prefer him to get there and not give up. Give him a chance to give up on the hand. I think that was absolutely a mistake I made in this spot.
0: What uh, sizing did you choose?
1: Sixty thousand. So it was two thirds of the pot.
0: Yeah, I think on a board that you have this crushed. So I'm trying to sort of compare this to like a similar no limit situation because. You know, equities do run closer in this game, which means that typically, like, we have more of an incentive to size up and deny equity. We happen to have a hand that really has very little incentive to deny deny equity. And so, choosing a small sizing as sort of a, we can deny a little bit of equity, we can easily call, or we most likely call facing a pot raise. Which is not going to come very often, and we can increase the size of the pot in position with the hand with high equity. So I think like making a small bet is pretty reasonable here, given your hands incentive. I think checking is also reasonable. I think when you bet this large, we start funneling our opponent towards hands that have us beat from like a you know five card draw showdown value situation. I mean it's not five card draw, but like we're funneling our opponent towards other kings, and a lot of aces. Like Our opponent has quite a few aces here when we don't have an ace in our hand, and they call it our pot size race. We know our opponent's folding some, so we don't necessarily save that much money against an ace. I guess part of this decision comes from like, how thinly do we think our opponent is going to bet for value on future streets, and how often is our opponent going to bluff? If our opponent... Goes thin for value. Like, if our opponent's going to bet any ace on the turn, then we have less to lose by, you know, betting small now and kind of setting our price and like buying a free turn card. Cause I don't think that our opponent's going to just like check raise that much, like one pair here. Would you agree with that? That our opponent isn't going to check raise very much with like a hand like ace jack or something?
1: I don't think so. I mean, it would have to be ace jack with uh, two spades. I mean, I think that he's competent enough to semi-bluff a made hand with some sort of flush draw.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely possible.
1: The challenge is, you know, we're blocking him having flush draws. So that makes it less likely that if he, if he does make a play like that, that he has the hands that we need him to have. So I think that, you know, the ideal situation is he has some sort of big rap, Broadway-type rap hand with um, inferior... Spades. I mean, those are the hands we're targeting for best value. But if he's going to continue in the hand, he more likely than not has minimum an ace with spades, but more likely two pair or I think bottom set. I mean, I again, I'm completely taking aces and kings out of his range. This villain specifically was aggressi- aggressive enough and playing straightforward enough that he would just repot those. He's not, I, I don't think he's going to try some trap to kind of conceal the strength of his hand. I think he would just repot me pre-flop with those hands.
0: I think my feeling here is that what we want to do with this specific hand, and it might be a little exploitable, but I think that obviously we're allowed to do that against an opponent like this, or we, we get away with doing that. I hate when people say, you're allowed to bet here, you're allowed to raise here, because you can do it if you want. But <laughs> I think that in this instance... I would opt to bet like quarter pot or something like that. And basically what I'm thinking with that bet is that we, in- we increase the size of the pot, we make it easier to get stacks in if like we turn a spade, turn a jack. And in the event that we don't get a turn that improves our hand, we can check back and see a ripper at a really high frequency. And I think that we can even potentially like fold to like a lot of river bets, depending on sizing. Where if we check back now, I think their opponent gets to play reasonably strong aces much more aggressively. And we might just see them... We might just see him go ahead and pot the turn at a high frequency. You know, a lot of players just pot as like their default sizing. And that's not great when we have middle pair, but obviously a hand that won't fold. So I don't think we get to just like induce a ton of bluffs, just like stabs on the turn. I think the sport is transparently like rel- relatively strong for you, such that your opponent's not going to just like look at, you know, eight, eight, seven, five on ace king four, turn nine, and just go ahead and bet. Um, if you, if we thought our opponent was going to do that kind of thing, then we have much more incentive to check and just play through a call on the turn. But yeah, I think that you maximize the types of, of mistakes your opponent is likely to make. And the way they're going to play the hands that beat you versus the hands that don't beat you, the hands we have very high equity against, by just going ahead and betting small and buying a free river at a high frequency when we miss the turn. Uh, so that, that's how I'd be approaching this spot. I wonder what you think of that.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot because we, uh, if, if we check back the flop, the, the frequency that the villain is going to lead into us on the turn is going to be so much higher. And puts us in a really tough spot if we haven't improved. So by betting smaller, we still kind of control the action. And villain is much more likely to check turn. And then we get to decide based on what card comes on the turn, how we're going to approach the next street. So I, that has convinced me that small bet is way better than a check.
0: Yeah, I agree. So we ended up, we did bet. And I think that, I actually think the big bet are like, You know, two thirds pot might also be better than check. I just don't think we benefit a lot from check, other than like if our opponent would have folded like a really bad flush draw, we keep that in. But if our opponent is like willing to fold flush draws that are that bad, they're probably not paying off like stacks with a really bad flush, anyways. So it's not like a huge opportunity cost. So yeah, I like small bet and then I like big bet or not like I would never pot it here with this hand, but I like. Euro size and then I think check is probably slightly worse than either of those options. Although you have a you have a high flexibility hand, in my opinion. So it can go a lot of ways, which is why this is a tricky decision point. So we ended up bidding sixty thousand, which was you said two thirds pot. And if if I remember correctly, your opponent did not just call you, put in a raise.
1: And he didn't fold, because then this hand wouldn't be very interesting. No. Uh... <laughs> Uh, he elects to check raise and raise the pot to Mm $210,000. So it's not, you know, this is, this is exactly what we put ourselves in a position that we're now, you know, we're in a tough spot trying to figure out what to do. I mean, we've got 105,000 in the pot, 295,000 behind, and there's, you know, over 300,000 in the pot like 350 if i'm calculating that correctly Mm -hmm. so i mean it's it's just a miserable spot because we can't we can't just call i mean to me this is a folder re-jam because if we call we're leaving only 140 000 and change behind into a pot of you know basically for the for the for the for all the chips and we can't protect our hand at all our Stacked pot ratio is terrible. We have no protection, and I mean we're 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 effectively all in, either way. So I, you know, to me this is I I I don't know I'm I I, I probably the longest I've tanked you know live tournament in my career, five plus minutes because I I I honestly didn't know what to do. I know equity is yeah. going to run super close in PLO if he's got so his. His hands that have me crushed are ace king, ace four, or set of fours. Again, I've taken ace aces and kings out of his range. I just don't think it's reasonable that he would have those hands if he didn't repot pre flop based on how he had played throughout the tournament. So, two pair hands or a bottom set. In the worst case scenario, best case scenario, just a single ace with inferior flush draws. I think the best case scenario for me is that he has. Um, monster wrap hand with inferior spades as well.
0: Yeah, so I think this is, when we're thinking about these kinds of spots where like we're going to have a very low SPR situation, but we're definitely at an equity disadvantage, what we have to think about in terms of deciding to shove or just call is is there any situation where we get to fold if we just play through a call? Like if the turn was an ace, let's say, could you fold to the remaining, um, let's think it would, you made it 45. This is 210. So we'd be calling with like 145 K behind and the pot at that point would be like 500. So getting like around somewhere between four and a half and five to one on the turn for the turn ace. Can we fold? seems like the answer is no.
1: I think the answer for preserving our tournament life if we just call flop is we have to fold if the board pairs because those are the hands that you know we're I mean we're we're just absolutely crushed we we don't even have any outs.
0: Yeah, I guess we think our opponent's going to slow down with bluffs. Then I think yeah, folding might be best. So if we think we can fold when the board pairs then I think there's a case for calling since I don't think that are there any, there's not very many hands that like we just get to fold and deny equity that we wanted to deny equity from. If we shove here, our opponent doesn't have any raised folds. Is there any situation where like we make our hand and don't get max value? If we play through a call, could our opponent ever fold on a turn spade?
1: My intuition is that uh, he would feel he would be pot committed And Mm -hmm. he would check side call a spade and just hope to catch on the river and boat up because in our best case scenario, he's got a set or two pair Mm -hmm. in that. And if he made the flush, he's already committed himself to the hand. You know, if he has inferior, like Jack 10 spades makes a lot of sense in his range in his range of hands that he's holding that he's unlikely to get away from Second nut flush, you know, and he makes the raise with second nut flush and Broadway draw, like Jack Ten Spades with an Ace.
0: I mean, I do think that like he has some incentive to slow play, like fours is it's worth mentioning. Yeah, so I guess I do think there's a, if you think you can fold on a reasonable amount of turn cards, then I think that it's reasonable to consider call as an option. Just understanding that you're always going to stack off when facing that shove on the turn, unless we see an ace or a four, which is going to be a low frequency event, assuming that he has reasonable coverage on those cards anyways. But yeah, yeah, I think that's an approach that's pretty valid.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I never, in game, I mean, in my head, I'm only thinking my options are fold now, or get it all in. And well, I, think, I honestly didn't even consider just calling his pot size raise, because I was just, concerned about my stacked to pot ratio i mean i was 145,000 behind with the amount of chips in play just put me in an almost impossible spot
0: yeah well it's very awkward um and so i think that's why it's important to plan it's important to make sure that you never end up just folding unless it's like the, the spots you've given yourself permission to fold already so we have six cards that we would consider folding on And they're they're not going to be coming very often, especially because we expect that our opponent has some combination of aces and fours at reasonable frequencies, um, or holding some aces. So the question becomes, in terms of deciding between like, if we if we restrict the decision to call or fold, then we really just have an equity decision, and we're also considering, you know, future skill edge. If we fold now how much can we leverage our skill edge versus just taking our equity now? So if we thought that we were getting like exactly the right price, then presumably we would want to fold. So the blinds were 10K, 15K? Correct. Mm-hmm. And so if we fold now, we'll have 20 bigs. And I think people can maybe overrate their skill edge um, with t- 20 big blind stacks, but I think that since there's forced, there's a lot more play with a 20 big blind stack in PLO than there is in no limit. Since there's your ability to shove and just get it in preflop and take your equity is so much less. So I think that we should consider your future skill edge to be like a pretty sizable factor in terms of like making fold reasonable here, even with high equity how likely is it do you think that your opponent would take this line with something like just like a queen jack 10 wrap with no spades
1: this so this specific villain i i think that he's more likely to going back to like our early conversation to to put his chips on big draws and willing to gamble and honestly against a A known player. I mean, I'm going to know probably half the field at these tournaments, people that I know that I have respect their game. I'm going to give them more credit than I'm giving this guy for. I'm going to assume that he's got a higher frequency of semi bluffs that he would pull this check raise with.
0: And if he's, if he has more semi bluff type hands, then he might also have more like king fours that just want to gamble. And we're actually we're we're in pretty good shape against King Four, so I think that there's probably just no case for folding here. Even though we have a significant skill edge going forward, we've identified this opponent overplays draws, so I I think you I don't think there's a very big difference between call and shove. Um, we've identified that there might be some spots where you can fold, although I think that you have there are some situations where you you fold the best hand when like a four or an ace comes in and your opponent just. Click shove with like Queen Jack, you know, 10 dangler on a turn four, and you end up folding a hand that had massive equity. So I think just piling is a, a strong play and, and not something that if you did, you should have any regrets about.
1: Yeah, baby. <laughs> I passed the test. I mean, I did after five minutes, longest tank in my live poker career. I I piled. I, I mean, I just, I felt like I had too much equity, even the two pair hands, you know, I think the calculation is still 55 45. And if I can put enough semi bluff combo draws in his holdings here that I think it balances out and I went with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And having a King is like reasonably good too.
1: Oh, in for fact, sure. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 even having a single blocker makes a difference in, in these small, close spots.
0: Yeah, I think we're a favorite against some King Four, like King Four with really nothing else. We're we're a decent favorite against, and I think that's the kind of thing that like an inexperienced PLO player wouldn't realize and might make a big mistake, you know, overplaying a hand like King Four with no draw.
1: And the so, crazy yeah. thing is, is if this is a You know, I mean, if this is a cash game, I mean, it's almost like an instant reshove, get the whole stack in, don't even think twice about it. When you're playing in a tournament like myself, and I don't get to play very often, and I have an opportunity to win an event, take home a trophy and have that sense of pride, you're just going to evaluate it so much closer than you ever would in a cash game scenario. I mean, this is an an instant click back all in jam (laughs) in the cash game.
0: Well there's more to it than that also like the fact that in a cash game you know essentially there in some ways we are playing a cash game right now you know because there's no ICM in a you know heads up of a tournament we're just uh you know we, we can basically just compare the chips in play to the money difference between first and second place and call this a cash game where I don't know. I'm guessing that the difference between first and second was probably like three or four thousand.
1: Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I think it was like two thousand dollars between first and second.
0: Okay. So basically, you guys are playing like, um, I think like 2550. That was a very shorthanded, probably inaccurate calculation. But you guys are playing like a big PLO game with relatively short stacks. So if it were truly cash and this guy were going to stay at the table and you could just rebuy, then I think, yeah, you have a trivial shove. The problem is that you don't get to keep playing 25.50 with this guy if you lose your stack now. You, you're, you guys are done. And so you have to weigh like, what's the value of just getting to play more 2550 with this guy that I sacrifice at some frequency when I shove and then end up losing? And so that's a very, it's actually a pretty substantial difference, I would say, between evaluating this as a cash decision versus um, a tournament. Now, obviously, there's also the trophy, which probably has significant monetary value relative to the price pool, just based on everything that I've gauged from you in this conversation. Like, I'm guessing that, I don't know, you're probably, what, what would you place as a value of that trophy? $500? Like $1,000? More?
1: Oh, God, it's probably worth more than paying I mean, I had been so, my, I mean, my background, I'd been heads up within the last couple of years in a couple other local events and gotten second place in all of them. So, <laughs> yeah, probably more than first place. I wanted to win the damn trophy, I yeah, wanted okay. the title.
0: I mean, if <laughs> then I think actually now you have a, well, no, probably not. It's interesting to consider how that factors in. Obviously, we want to maximize our chance of winning the tournament. And so that's, that's what we're going to be doing here. But yeah, I think it's worth, it's worth thinking about things in those terms, like you get to play more twenty five fifty with this guy by folding, where we're just taking like our equity in this hand, basically, if we go with it. Since almost certainly whoever wins this hand once you go all in, is going to win the tournament. Anyway, we're dying for results. Um, you ended up going all in with middle pair and a gut shot in the nut flush draw. Not a bad combination. Were you ahead or behind?
1: I was behind. He tabled pocket fours and pocket deuces, double unsuited. So he had called the pre-flop raise with two small pocket pairs, no suit, no uh, no suits.
0: All right. Well, good thing he's not blocking any of your outs, and we're blocking one of his. If we get there, so let's make it easy. Turn turn spade.
1: <laughs> if only Max Max Payne, we break out on Turning River, and he's taking the picture with the photo, and I'm going home with a tear coming down my cheek.
0: <laughs> oh no! I actually I thought you won. I guess it makes more sense why you're uh, why you <laughs> sent us or sent me this hand in the first place. We're not normally second guessing our victory, you know, our, our victory hands. Is your Twitter profile picture a tournament? Well, I guess
1: there's, there's my spoiler alert. Two weeks ago, I won an event at the Minnesota state poker championship, a mix event. So um, I had to wait a couple months, but I finally did get to go home with the trophy after all.
0: (laughs) Oh, congrats. Okay, great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the the tears have been, the tears have been dried up. I at least have that to, uh, to provide some comfort. (laughs) All
0: right, well, that was a very disappointing, you know, ninety seconds for me. Well, I'm <laughs> I'm sorry you lost this hand. Um, I think you made the right decision. It's an interesting spot to like kind of deviate from maybe what our top end hands want to do on the flop and bet a larger sizing or sorry a smaller sizing. But and that's the kind of liberty that you can take against a weaker opponent. But yeah, uh, getting the money in here, I think is it's really hard for it to be a mistake. And I think you should go home head held high and it sounds like you did got back on the felt and took down the trophy uh, not too long later so well done
1: i appreciate that yeah just the last comment i'll make i mean in retrospect the fact that he tabled pocket fours and pocket deuces calling that to a pre-flop pot Really had me reconsidering if I should have called it off because I mean, that's a hand that I am open folding in Potland and Omaha. That's the terrible hand, right? I mean, we're just, we never get value when we make our hands or rarely do. And we just are, we're so capped in what we can draw to that had I known that he would call a pot size bet with that, like a hand like that, um, I would have been better off extending the tournament and continuing to play and find a spot where he is getting his money drawing in dead. So versus a fifty-five, forty-five, or fifty-fifty spot.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Knowing that, well, it's kind of strange because we've, it makes you wonder what he folded because didn't he fold to some of your opens already?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it probably, there was no rhyme or reason to what he was going to play and it was just a result of him not playing very often. And in this spot, overvaluing in, pot limit omaha I mean this is a, a bottom you know bottom fifteen percent hand I would assume
0: yeah for sure, especially you said there it was totally unsuited
1: double pair is completely off suit,
0: yeah, it's a stinker, yeah you can <laughs> maybe maybe you call facing the inway you don't I don't think you call facing pot for sure.
1: Well I appreciate you doing some pot limit omaha. I think that you are probably finding in your own poker playing and with players that you talk to that it is fun to mix it up. I mean, I play a mostly no limit holdem, but it, it no limit holdem can be so boring sometimes and just the style and way people play and the robotic nature of it. Pot limit omaha just can be so much more fun and enjoyable and I really do encourage people that have never played it before to get outside of their comfort zone because it's a nice change of pace and it's a great game it is really a great fun game
0: it is a great game it's not a game that i choose that often it's mostly something that i'll play if i'm waiting for an no game but i always enjoy it but it's the kind of thing that like in any kind of social situation like any home game anytime i'm playing like heads up with a friend it's much, much more fun, I think, and much more in, enjoyable for me and stimulating for me to play something like Potlumet, hold on, sorry, Pot Limit, hold on, Pot Limit Omaha. I play a lot of games like Drumaha, Five Card PLO, those sorts of things with friends. And I find that to be some of the most fun I've ever had playing poker. And if I was in the, you know, I, I am around some PLO games that I'm sure are great. It's just that in the New York City where I am, PLO tends to be extremely big and extremely highly raked. So it's not the kind of environment that has, you know, drawn me in. But I look forward to playing more in the future and playing some PLO tournaments, which sound like a lot of fun. It's not something I've ever done before, other than online just having fun. So I appreciate you humoring me, you know, just spitballing here, just going off of basically general poker knowledge and intuition.
1: Well, if you ever have to run back any, uh, seven card stud, eight or better hands, I can help you on that. <laughs> if you really deviate, <laughs> that was part of the mix that I just won a few weeks ago. That's another game I love playing. I, I, I enjoy playing all the games. So if you ever take the podcast into some really unforeseen areas, <laughs> you can, you can call me back.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you and John, the lawyer can just do a guest spot together on the uh... On a stud hand, since I'm just totally (laughs) useless, um, really on anything limit. (laughs) If I can't make a big bet, then I I just don't know what to do.
1: (laughs) Well, like I said, I get so much value out of what you do, so it's fun for me to get to participate in it and appreciate the opportunity. I will say... um, would love to get some more people uh, checking out what I'm doing. I'd post a lot of hand reviews on my Twitter account. It's I'm a Luigi. That's I-M-A-L-O-U-I-G-I. And yes, um, I, I did just post a new profile pic, taking down the mixed event at the Minnesota State Poker Championships a few weeks ago. So that's what Jack saw on my Twitter profile.
0: Yeah, go check out Louie, uh, or I guess maybe some call you Luigi. Yeah. Check him out on Twitter. Check us out on Twitter at Just Hands Poker. And we will see you guys in a week, probably two weeks. But thank you all for tuning in. And Louis, thank you again for coming on.
1: Had a blast. Thanks, Jack.